0: Well, we have been um, going through the, this chapter, of 2 Corinthians 4, over the past three weeks. This is the fourth week. Basically asking the question, when people search for the church, um, what are they going to find? What, what is the church? And what do we hope that they will find? Church Near Me is one of the most, if not the most, kind of Google, used Google search when people are finding a church, or looking for a church. And so what are we hoping people are going to find? Um, we've been the main, the main kind of big overarching thing over this chapter has been that we would hope that people would find uh, Jesus in our life, that uh, Jesus is going to be in all these parts of, of who we are. We talked about purpose, we have talked about weakness, we have talked about our words. Um, this week we're going to talk about hope. In fact, we come full circle this week, and if you have your Bible, keep it open or your app open or whatever, we'll look at some of these verses as we go, run those last three verses. Um, we've come full circle in, uh, as the first words in chapter 4 are really the same kind of words in this last section here. So chapter 4 begins like, Therefore, since by this ministry we have God's mercy, we don't lose hope. But we just here in verse 16, Therefore, uh, we don't lose heart. This kind of losing heart um, thing is a kind of how Paul bookends chapter 4. To, to lose heart, I think it's quite easy to lose heart. To lose heart means to give in, to give up, to burn out, all those kind of things that we see and, and maybe we've um, been prone to ourselves. Uh, So Paul is returning to this idea of not losing heart, and even though he starts with it and ends with it, it's like a song that maybe the first chord and the last chord are the same. The last chord is going to hit differently because you've been through the whole rest of the song, and we're hoping that that's what we're going to get to as we learn from God via Paul today. And so what we're going to be talking about today is where we place our hope. What does it mean for us to say Jesus is our hope? That might be an uncontroversial thing for a Christian to say, Jesus is my hope. What does that actually mean? And for someone who isn't a believer, what, uh, what is the advantage of that? Like, why, why would that be a good thing? Well, if you've ever struggled with losing heart, and probably maybe only one other person has, if you've ever struggled with that, this message is especially for you. When our world wastes away, what we do when, when our hope is not found in Jesus, when our world wastes away, what happens is we kind of waste away a little bit. It's like we're a dog on a lead, like a strong lead. And we might try and go here or there, but really, ultimately, we're just going to go wherever that lead pulls us. And when things go bad, we do lose heart. We give in, we give up, we burn out, all those things. But our hope in Jesus allows us to not lose heart because he calls us to something bigger than ourselves and enables us to live that kind of life. So that's what we're going to learn about today. So this first point we'll get to, the first point that Paul gets to here in the in verse 16 is that our hearts are being transformed. Therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This is where we're getting that idea. Our hearts are being transformed. Now, one reason that we don't lose heart is because our hearts are being transformed. For those in Jesus, you are in a constant kind of passive state of being renewed, a being of, of renewal. Our souls, our innermost being, whatever you want to call it here, the word is heart, is uh, undergoing this non-stop renovation process by Jesus. And this is in stark contrast to our physical bodies. Outwardly, we're wasting away. I mean, maybe some of us feel like we're wasting away a little bit more than other people. At the very least, I think all of us are kind of slowly dying. Our bodies decay over time. I think 25 years old is the peak physical condition. So it's like 25 years old, slow downhill, you know, till you're 41 or however old you might be. Um, some might feel that slow decline more than others. But you know, on, on a serious note, there are people in Redeemer, and, and, and some of them can't be here in person with us today, who have serious chronic health issues. And that can be very, very difficult to live with. They know what it means to be renewed inwardly with that outward wasting away better than I would. But the reality that Paul's talking about here is the inward, the real true part of who we are, the most important part of us, our, like, our identity, that's what Jesus renews. Now outside, there may not be much renewal going on, but inside, it is the God of heaven and earth at work in us. So this is one reason why we don't lose heart while on this journey. We have a hope that our hearts are being transformed from old to new by Jesus. And you notice that Paul isn't saying, though outwardly we're wasting away, we're working really hard so that inwardly we'll renew ourselves. Paul isn't saying that if you try really hard, you'll renew yourself and then like live in the consequences of that. No, we are being renewed. This is a passive thing. We are being renewed by Jesus. He's the one who's renewing us. Now, how, in the world, how can that be? How does that work? When we come to faith, initially... There is a once-for-all action. You are adopted, just kind of like how Elspeth talked about um, their dog, Crumble. Um, You are adopted into God's family. You will never not be part of God's family. If you are a son and a daughter, you are a son and a daughter, full stop, that's it. But what happens when you adopt a son or daughter or have a dog um, is uh, over time those benefits keep coming. You keep treating your son like a son. You keep treating your daughter like a daughter. It's not like, oh, good, we got that figured out right now. Scram, kid, Like, go get a job. Like, you, there's a constant renewal aspect of, of learning and living into that renewal of, of being a son or a daughter in a way that didn't happen before. So it's a once-and-for-all action, but it does have continuing results that Jesus is doing inwardly to, for us day by day. Uh, Christine and I, actually, we just had friends, it's funny, I wrote this a couple weeks ago, we just had friends who visited from Columbia, South Carolina, who left a couple hours ago here, they were here for a couple days, but we were part of a church called Riverside in South Carolina, you guys know about Riverside, they do a lot of great things for Redeemer, actually some of you have been there yourselves, you guys and and a few other people, so one of the members at Riverside started a brewery um, called Conquest, here's the outside, it's just like a warehouse space, it wasn't fantastic looking on the inside, just a bunch of brewery stuff, nothing amazing looking. Um, at the time when they started their brewery, South Carolina had a, beer, or had a law um, that you couldn't brew or you couldn't sell beer that was over 5% alcohol. Now, in America, to make it as a craft brewery, you need to sell uh, beer that is much higher percentage than that, because otherwise people are kind of not interested, they don't buy it. So what they did is they worked with the politicians and the government, and they helped kind of raise the limit from 5% to 17.5%. Now, a 17.5% beer. I mean, could you imagine? That is like, yeah. So what did they do? What was the very first thing they did when that law went into practice? Well, they brewed a 17.5% beer called the finisher. And if you were to drink the whole bottle, it would finish you. It would be, I mean, it's, it's a bit insane. Um, now, here's the thing with high alcohol beer, something like this, or there are other kind of high alcohol beers. Um, we're going to get a little bit nerdy into brewery, uh, into brewing. Um, here's the thing with high alcohol beer. It might be good right when it's bottled, but what is really good Is when it's aged over time. Yes, you can actually age beer, but it's actually like fantastic. It's much better over time because the sharp edges get rounded off. The high kind of alcoholy like flavor that gets kind of mellowed out. Generally, just kind of gets mellow, and actually the taste itself becomes more complex. And if you don't believe me, I don't know. We could try something sometime. I don't have anything like that. But the um, an aged finisher was always better than the ones that were better off being bottled like right right off off the line it's um it became more of an enjoyable experience, and aged was better because day after day over years it was being transformed from this really brash kick you in the face teeth kind of beer into something that's like oh that's actually like very nice uh, it came to something that was a um uh, maybe more of like a, a punishing activity to something that actually might be enjoyable. And this is what walking with the Lord is like. And yes, I'm using the metaphor of a barrel age imperial stout to talk about what it means to walk with Jesus. So, um, day, and this is really where it comes into, where, where the metaphor actually makes sense. Because day after day, Jesus does his renewing work in us. Initially, when you first came to Jesus, if you are a Christian, you, I mean, if you have any hindsight, you knew what you were like you were kind of probably not fun to be around. Maybe you're still not fun to be around, but maybe a little more fun to be around than what you were in the past. The way you think about other people, the way you'd uh, compare yourself to other people, even like the way you view God and the way you viewed the Bible, it would be completely different when you first came to faith. And five years, 10 years, 20 years, that changes over time because you're being renewed day by day. Those hard edges are being rounded out. That kind of kick you in the teeth kind of alcohol flavor, that's being like chilled out and mellowed out and you're becoming more mature and it's more enjoyable, it's more complex. It's a better experience overall, you as a human being. And this is what what Jesus is doing inwardly in us day by day. To be renewed day by day isn't an overnight thing as much as we all want it to be. And we all hope it to be and are all just depressed and sad that it's not. But it is a slow transformational process. It's not something that can be done in a week. Not something that can be done in a year. If you want your heart to be transformed, that means relying on that slow, maturing work that Jesus is happy and patient to do day after day, week after week. And really, what it is, is this cultivating dependence on the Holy Spirit to do only what He can do. Who else can actually renew your heart? Nothing else, nobody else, nothing that doesn't exist in the world. We all search after those things, but only Jesus is the one who can do that. The hope in Jesus here is uh, one that believes he will do this work. So let's not block him as he's trying to do that work. Let's let him do that work. Let's make it easy for him to do that work. There are rhythms in life that we all have. Some will aid this work. Some are going to hinder it. Some might feel enjoyable at first. Sometimes not. But leaving these rhythms... Uh, uh, these important rhythms of life, it can block Jesus' work in our lives. So let's not do that. Here's three very simple things, and this is not, like, not rocket science, and it'd be like, oh, of course a pastor's gonna say this at the front, but there's a reason why we have our church kind of organized this way. Sunday worship, to be p- not present here on a Sunday is effectively blocking Jesus's renewal work in our lives. To gather with his people is different than being by yourself and doing whatever on a weekend. Actually being here and participating is one way that Jesus uses to renew your heart. It's not the only way, but it is one way. It's the reason why we spend time doing it. Another big way, and we talk about this often, is missional communities our small groups that meet throughout the week. We can't be a church that lives out what it truly means to be a church through a short, small event on a Sunday. It just, we just can't. This is not an event planning organization. This is a church. And so as a church, is made up of relationships. And that's what a missional community is. A missional community is not a meeting, though there are meetings. It's not an event, though there are events. It's a set of relationships of people who are going to um, be involved in this work together. They keep each other aligned with God, they keep each other um, aligned with each other, and they keep each other aligned with people who aren't yet in that missional community, but who were praying and working so that they would be. And lastly, it's your own kind of Bible reading and your own kind of prayer. Look, I know everyone who follows Jesus probably knows they should do this and other things, uh, but few of us would probably say we have strong rhythms in these kind of three areas of our life. Probably, probably few of us would say, I'm 100% awesome in all those ways. Regarding the Bible and, uh, and um, praying on your own should be a regular thing in your life. To read daily, to pray daily, I'm, it will change your life. It will. If you want your life to be better, to be changed for the better, read your Bible and pray. Be part of a small group and show up on Sunday. It's actually not a lot of hours when you think about it, but that will literally change your life over time. That will allow Jesus to do this inward renewal work instead of trying to block him from doing the good thing that he wants to do. So yes, our hearts are passive, and Jesus is the active one, but that doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means we allow him to do his work. And I wonder in these three kind of areas uh, where you might be missing out on Jesus' renewing work in your life. Now you can say, oh, all of them. I need you should be better in everything. Like, don't do that. Like, just like, what is the next maybe small thing that you need to kind of get involved in? Or maybe even question, like, are they a priority? Or do you do them when it's convenient? Are you there, but just kind of there physically and not really present fully, or like not really participating? Are you helping out? Are you joining in? Are you just kind of warm body, like you know, warming up a chair? Now, all of us are at different places in our walk with Jesus. The real question is what's next for you? Some people are here. Some people are here. If you're here, don't expect to be here. Don't do that. And if you're here, don't try and just kind of be like, well, I'm here. I can just kind of skate by. No, you can probably move here. And this person, you probably move there. Whatever that means for you, that's going to be different for everybody. And after you find out what it is, the next question is, what help do you need? Because you aren't enabled, you don't have it in yourself to do it. You can't, even if it's like, I want to make sure I'm on Sundays more often than than I am now. Well, that's great, but your own passion is going to wear out over time. You need someone else to help you with it. This is why we have missional communities. This is why we have these relationships. Uh, Just tell somebody, can you help me? Text me every now and then. Hey, where are you if I'm not there or something like that? Now, we all have many hopes, and if our hope is set on anything other than Jesus, our hope hope will waste away, and that means that we are going to waste away, and we'll waste our lives. We will lose heart. How to lose heart? Not do those things. Jesus directs us to hope in his inward work in our heart. So if Jesus is our hope, the first thing that happens is our hearts get transformed. They get renewed every day. Um, But also, when we go through difficult times in life, that too gets transformed, So our troubles are in a process of being transformed as we follow Jesus. Verse 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When bad things happen, or when life is just hard, we don't lose hope because of the hope that Jesus transforms our troubles. And troubles, we have them. One of my favorite theologians, the notorious B.I.G., Mo' Money, Mo' Problems. And if you have that, if you've had you know, the blessing of having more money, which you know, we don't really know what that is exactly like ourselves, but anytime, basically more stuff, more problems. More people, more problems. More money, more problems. I mean, he didn't know how much of a theologian he was. I don't know if he read Paul or not, but he definitely got it. Now, often when trouble comes in, we feel like we work for it. And in fact, this is one of the issues, I think, with trouble. Trouble will come in, and then we have to solve it, we have to fix it, and all of a sudden that trouble becomes our boss. That trouble becomes our, our, our slave owner. We're masters to that trouble. We work for that trouble. Now we're employees to that trouble. But what this verse actually says is the opposite. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. The tr- we are the, the, uh, the slave. We're the trouble's boss. We put those troubles to work. It achieves for us something. Now there's a comparison here, just like in the previous verse. There's this outward and there's this inward. The outward life may be difficult, but the inward life is being renewed. And same thing here. There's light momentary troubles versus eternal glory. So here's the thing with troubles in our life. When it comes, it shrinks everything down. We get blinkers, and we can't see to the left or to the right. We can only see what's directly in front of us. We can't see what's five minutes down the road because we have to deal with this trouble. We're working for it when really that trouble ought to be working for us. Don't let the tail wag the dog, I guess is what Paul's trying to say here. To have your troubles work for you requires a bigger picture, requires a bigger hope. If there isn't anything more than what's right in front of you, then, sorry, you are going to work for that trouble. And if we have any question of light and momentary versus eternal glory, um, what Paul says is this eternal glory far outweighs everything you're going to ever go through. If this was true for Paul and the church at Corinth, then surely this is true for us. Our lives are so much easier than their lives were Our it's so much easier for us to have faith we have the whole bible like printed and we can read it that that's huge they didn't not very few people did we are not the end point of suffering in our lives but even if we were let's say that we are and sometimes when you're in, in suffering it feels like this is the worst thing nobody knows and i've i've experienced the worst suffering this world has ever seen even if that is true and it's not even if it were those light and momentary troubles were pale in comparison to the weight of eternal glory that we have. And I know that understanding light and momentary versus eternal is hard for every single one of us. That's, that's a difficult thing. Now, why is that hard? I think for me, and maybe for some of you guys, I think some of it, it must be a lack of imagination. We, don't, we can't really imagine something being bigger and better than the trouble that we have right in front of us. Our imagination is too small. We know what it feels like to go through pain here. We've, we're feeling it, we're seeing it, we're, it's like in front of our face. And we know eternal glory should matter. If you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, that's what I should care about and that's what I'll sing about and pray about, but I just don't really kind of get how it's really important. I don't feel the importance. But one thing we do get, we may not get the, like, the glory of, of that eternal glory. We don't get like, the, the goodness weight of that. One thing we do get, every single human does get, is the burden of glory. We all get the burden of glory. The burden of glory is the lack of contentment that we feel in our lives. You could have all the things, and you're still like, yeah, but maybe there's something more out there. You could have the most amazing relationship. You're like, yeah, but maybe my partner could be a little bit better. Maybe there's another other one. You could, have, uh, you could have a windfall of cash. You're like, oh, man, but 10% more would have gotten us this. There's always going to be something more out there. That is the burden of glory. The burden of glory is not being satisfied and wanting more, which is actually a really good initial desire. We should have that burden of glory in this world. We really feel the burden of glory, though, when we go through troubling and difficult times. Life shouldn't be like this. If you've ever thought that, that's feeling the burden of glory. It ought not be like this. And the reason why we have those kind of insatiable desires is because we were made for an immense capacity. We have an eternal capacity inside of us. There is in each one of us a burden of finding that thing, whatever it is, that will enable us to live to our fullest potential, whatever it might be. It's why we see careers, partners, families, houses, get addicted to drugs, drink, all the kind of things. That's, it's, that's one of the things I want to experience the most in this life and be completely full as a human being. And because we are made to be eternal, it can, we can only be fulfilled with what is eternal. Eternal glory is something now and something in the future. It's not just something that we look forward to and like, oh, well, I have these light, moment tro- mo- light momentary troubles now, uh, but I don't have, eternal glory is something I'm gonna get to eventually. No, light- eternal glory is something we get to experience now as Christians. Now it means being known by God, being known as a son or a daughter by the creator of the world, being loved by God, being embraced by him, God delighting in us for us to feel that God delights in us. That's, the, that's some level of eternal glory breaking into our lives. And we do experience parts of that now. In the future, we will experience it completely and unhindered. Eternal glory is something now and in the future, and every little trouble we go through has the potential to work for us towards that direction. Every single trouble we go through has the potential to work for us towards that eternal glory, towards God. That means when those speed bumps come in life, and they will, you can tell them, you know, bring it on. You're working for me, you little punk. Like, I'm not going to serve you. I mean, I want to, and I probably will. Let's just be honest. But really, like, you can take that thing by the neck and make it work for you. And say, so you are going to help me receive eternal glory now and in the future. And you know, then your neighbors are like, what is wrong with that guy? He completely lost it. Um, but that is a different way to view our troubles, right? We, we want to relieve our pain, and I totally get it. That is a very natural biological reaction even. But there's something better than just relieving our pain and our troubles, I know my first thought when I go through troubles isn't like, oh, I can't wait to see how this trouble is going to give me eternal glory. No, that's not my first thought. But it that's why this is in the Bible, because we need to hear it, and that's what we need to be working towards. That's why we need God to be speaking these words to us. That's why we need other people speaking these words to us when we don't really see it for ourselves. We need to be realigned with the way that God calls us to live. Now, a good question I think at this point might be, well, that all sounds good, and wouldn't that be great if that's true, but how in the world does that work? You can't literally look at of trouble in the face and like say, you're look, working for me, you little punk. Like, Wouldn't that be great if that was it, and then you just move on? No, how in the world does that work? Paul doesn't really talk about that here, but I, I, it's a great question. I think it's something we should just spend a brief time talking about. C.S. Lewis, I think, helpfully might answer that question with this really good quote. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, uh, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I think sometimes our souls are deaf. When we go through troubles, when we go through pain, we go through difficulty, it is a, there is an opportunity, there is a capacity there to grow a little bit more of our sensitivity instead of close ourselves off. Because God does not want to keep our souls deaf. He wants to kind of grow in it. And the way that our troubles get used is to soften us, to grow our dependence instead of and get us out of the independence that we're so obsessed with, to grow our trust in the Lord. So our troubles force us out of our toxic individualism that we all have. They force us out of it, and they move us to share with other people. I mean, if you aren't sharing with other people in your MC, you're doing MC wrong, you're just doing right. If you don't come on Sundays with the expectation of understanding and celebrating the eternal glory we have in Jesus, we're doing Sundays wrong. If you don't read your Bible to hear from the Lord of glory, like, I really need to hear from you, Lord. Please, will you tell me something? If you don't read your Bible that way, we're just missing something. And if our hope is not in Jesus, it will be wrongly placed. It'll be misplaced somewhere. If your hope is on a lead to your circumstance and then the troubles come and it gets really tight and it gets kind of strangling, you're gonna be pulled in every kind of direction. The tail will wag the dog and Jesus changes all of that transforms our troubles to be opportunities to grow in glory. And look, if you haven't gotten this yet, there are three very simple things you can do that are going to revolutionize your life. Sundays, missional communities, and that kind of individual time you have with God will actually change how you go through the troubles. It's not going to relieve your problem. It won't fix everything, but it will make you go through it in a way that's different than, than previous. And this changes us also from just kind of being the regular consumer of how can I get uh, this Christianity thing be good for me only, or how can I get this church thing be for good for, good for me only? It forces us to really participate in the life of other people. And I, I'm just going to say it again, because I don't want to come across as like, oh, if you become a Christian, then everything's fine. Just doing this, just understanding this, even just knowing this, doesn't remove you from difficult times, doesn't prevent you from the difficulty of navigating difficult times. But every single person I know who has those three areas of their life set, those three rhythms, Sundays, some kind of small group relationship thing, and the individual thing, every single person I know has those things. They go through difficulties differently. They might go through more difficult things than other people do as well, but they are able to go through it differently. So if Jesus is our hope, and our hearts are being transformed, um, our troubles are also being transformed. There's a more kind of reactive reality. Those are things that kind of happen to us. This last point is a bit of more of a proactive one. It tells us kind of where we're going, and it's about this last verse in verse 18. If Jesus is our hope, we live a life of consequence. We live a life of consequence. Verse 18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal now this idea of like fixing our eyes is just like something to like watch closely so we watch closely something basically it's about spending our attention so the real question is like, what do we watch closely what do we spend our attention on sport whoa something falling around back there I don't know if we're all right uh, what do we spend our attention on loud bangs <laughs> sport your investments uh, your friendships, I don't know, like whatever the things you might spend, what do you give your attention to? If you were to go to the, uh, the screen time kind of app on your phone, if you have that, what would your phone tell you you spend your attention on? That's a scary one, don't ask that one. Don't show other people that. Don't share that one on Instagram. What would, uh, if you were to look at where you spent your money the past three months, what kind of story would that tell? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your attention on? What we give our attention to is what we worship. In fact, that's a really good definition of worship, is what we give our attention to. Now, the previous two points have been about developing this kind of rich interior life, and that's a long and difficult process. And because it's long and difficult, we are tempted to give up and resort to our own version of whatever might fit this metaphor of interior design. We don't want to work on our interior lives. We'd rather work on interior design. We don't want to work on our hearts. We want to work on a house and whatever that is, like whatever that hobby is, whatever that kind of um, physical thing in this world that you can see. I mean, in Charlton, we love our houses and we talk about them a lot, and that's great. Our houses are fantastic and that's good. The real estate market is crazy. It's like, I mean, I probably have a conversation at least one time a day with someone about like, the real estate market in Charlton. It's something we give our attention to. Our interior lives are difficult, and as difficult as the kind of housing market might be, interior decorating, that's much easier. So instead of actually working on my heart, I'm just going to hire know, interior decorator and work on my front room or whatever the thing might be, and that's going to solve my problem for a little bit. We'd rather have the perfect bespoke hearth instead of an actual whole and healthy heart. By default, we fix our eyes on what's in front of us. And it may not be a home for you. It's not really a home for us, I guess. But you have things in front of you that you're going to focus on, wherever that physical thing is. And that's seen, and that's attainable. And that's temporary. And then we end up with these small little lives, with these small little missions, and we wonder why we're discontent. Because we're made for so much more. We will either, in that discontentment, we'll either give up a little bit and live in that dissatisfaction, just that's the status quo, and give up into that. Or we'll kind of like throw all the toys out and try and recreate a new life for ourselves. We come alive, though, when our lives have consequence, when we live for the unseen and the eternal. But here's the thing. We will never have a life of real consequence while our eyes are locked in that horizontal position because I'm going to be looking at whatever that you know, metaphor of a home is going to be unless my eyes change and look somewhere else. If our hope, wherever we set our attention to, if that's locked in the horizontal position, we will be let down and we will miss out. What Jesus does is he directs our gaze upward to live outside of his hope it's such a much bigger life it's a much more difficult life but a much bigger one a much more meaningful one and it focuses on really what matters most first now did you know that pigs can't look up farm pigs they can kind of like do this or they can sit down and do that but they can't actually like look up they physically can't look up and i knew that kind of roughly but and then i was like huh i wonder why they can't and it's actually this is nerdy this is a really nerdy sermon, I guess. I keep on saying this is nerdy. Um, there's two reasons, actually, why a pig can't look up. One is they don't have the right kind of neck muscle. They're not born, farm pigs anyway, they're not born with the right kind of neck muscles to be able to actually look up. Secondly, they have too much neck fat that they literally can't because of the way that we breed farm pigs, I assume. Like, we just, you know, fatten them up. Uh, I feel like... We are just like, oh yeah, there's a, a cute little picture of a farm pig, or maybe you don't think pigs are cute, I don't know. Um, we're born into a, this world longing for something more, but with the inability to actually look at it, like physically unable to actually look at it, just like a pig. Someone must come and change us. But then over time, we get used of used to not looking up, and this our neck fat develops, and it just kind of grows into this big kind of... It's a really good picture, right? Us all walking around with these kind of like modules of fat in the back of our neck. What we do is we stop yearning, we stop longing, we stop caring about the things that really kind of move us, really kind of uh, give us energy and we accept that status quo. We don't have the muscles initially and over time we get too fat. So we can't tell someone to just live a life of consequence and then they'll do it. We can't tell someone to live for eternal glory and magically it happens. We, every single one of us, Wherever you are with Jesus, wherever you are with the church, wherever you think about the Bible, all of us need someone who will recreate us so that we can actually look up. That requires a creation, a recreation that we can't do ourselves. And we also need someone who will continue to work with us so that we have the ongoing ability to gaze up at the stars. And this is exactly what Jesus does in our life. He sees these farm pigs, cute or gross or whatever, you might look at them, but he like stoops down and allows us to be able to look up and gaze into what actually matters, And this is an aspect of eternal glory for us. Now we get to live into a life of consequence. I mean, I want Redeemer to be teeming with people who want to live these lives of consequence, who aren't satisfied by the status quo, that long for healthy hearts over and above all else, not just for themselves, but for other people in their lives. I mean, how could your life be one of consequence? It doesn't mean a big flash. It doesn't mean a big, kind of huge, massive thing. In fact, it's a lot like that renewing where it's a, long, a good, long life lived well. It's that ongoing, radical work of following Jesus. I mean, in our church, who's going to help plant churches in our city? I hope it's you. Who's going to work to bring justice to the marginalized in our city? I hope it's us. Who can, who's going to work to have beauty break into the everyday lives of people in our city? I want that to be us. Who can be spiritual parents in a world of spiritual orphans? That that ought to be us. Who is going to take the risks to make those things happen? Only people who are up for living a life of consequence, and I hope that's us. A big part of not losing heart is being caught up in something bigger than yourself empowered by someone bigger than yourself. And we talked about what losing heart looks like, like burnout, giving up kind of thing, frustration, not sharing your life with others, feeling like you're the only one in this world, um, lack of motivation. That's like a small and narrow life. Not losing heart requires us to live into these trees that we talked about today. It's the best thing for us. It's actually the best thing for other people because it creates the best humans because God is at work in us. I want to be and be around People with big hearts, expansive hearts, who are living risky lives for other people, lives that have a gravity that really have a consequence. And if we don't, when our world wastes away, we waste away. When other people's world wastes away, we can't really be that person that we want to be for them. We get stuck on this tether to our troubles. And when things do go bad, we will lose heart. The hope of living a life of consequence, of being able to actually look up, that's far, far away. But if our hope is in Jesus, he transforms us. He transforms our hearts, transforms our troubles, and he allows us to look up and live into something much bigger than ourselves, the calling of eternal glory. This is a way of life that we can't do ourselves. We would want to do. I think every single human does want to do it, but we can't do it ourselves. We need to have these rhythms to help set us up to walk along this path. And when Jesus was wasting away on the cross during his light and momentary trouble, he was making us new. When Jesus died, that light momentary trouble achieved for us, See so notice how he's working that suffering for, for not only his sake, but for our sake, achieved for us new, infinitely powerful, and eternal life. The same Jesus leads us and empowers us to live this way. So his calling in our life is something so much bigger than ourselves and includes those we know and some who we don't know yet. And if that's where our hope is, that's where I really where I hope it is, if that's where our hope is, we don't lose heart. We don't give in. We won't give up. We won't burn out. All those kind of things that we will be prone to doing and other people will be doing around us. What we get to do is we get to keep on and we get to live a life of consequence. All this was made possible through what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus paid for us to be able to live this way. The Lord's Supper is a recognition of the cost and a celebration of Of eternal glory, so it's recognition of the cost and a celebration. And as we eat and drink, we are eating the meal of eternal glory. I mean, I say meal. This is you know it's supposed to symbolize a meal, but what it does is it it, it, this also symbolizes what we get through Jesus. Symbolizes eternal glory in itself. Our glory burdened souls are able to find their home through what Jesus has done, and we are nourished to be able to live a life of consequence. It requires a lot. The bread that we have is a symbol of Jesus' body. The cup is a symbol of his blood. And both were given for his people. Now, all are invited to participate in this, but there are two people who are told to hold off. One is if you don't follow Jesus yet, because we don't want you doing just kind of merely religious ritual kind of thing that you don't actually believe in your heart, but you're kind of doing outwardly. Those are for people who follow Jesus. You don't have to be a member of Redeemer, but you do have to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, so don't do something religious that you don't believe in. But if you do believe in Jesus and follow him, um, there's another, reason, another one other um, thing that that the Bible tells us to hold off from, and that's if you're not actually living out the family aspect of what it means to be a church. If there is a conflict that you have with somebody, don't drink and eat today. Um, solve that conflict, maybe even during the time of singing that we're going to have in a moment. And the next week, eat and drink with us again as we get to really live out what it means to be a gospel-formed family on mission." Now, what we normally do is, um, as the songs are playing, we